Lead Well. Welcome to the Lead Well podcast, where we're growing the whole leader, sharpening leadership skills while strengthening the heart in leadership. Let's lead well. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Lead Well podcast. I am Sherry Cochran, your host today. Usually, I am joined by a few people in the studio so that we can talk about what we've learned from our guests. But due to the nature of this season, we've opted for me to go solo today. We'll rejoin with our discussion groups in the future as time and things change. We want to say thank you to each of you who have been listening and especially to those of you who have been sharing the podcast and helping us to get the word out. It is so encouraging to hear from you how the podcasts are sharpening and strengthening you. Today, I'm really excited to bring you part one of an interview with Chip Judd about change and the heart. Now, like all of us in this season, we connected virtually over the phone, and I just want to tell you a little bit more about Chip. He has served for over 40 years as a pastor, marriage and family counselor, coach, and consultant to leaders, teams, and organization. And interestingly, and I'm going to ask him about this, he has a BA in chemistry and a master's in counseling. How does that go together? I'm not quite sure, but I'm going to ask. If you want to check him out, you can also find Chip on Facebook. Just look up Chip Judd, C-H-I-P-J-U-D-D. Well, without further ado, let's jump in. Well, hi, Chip. I am so glad to have you on the podcast today. I'm glad to be here. You have been such a big help and encouragement to me personally, and so I'm really, really excited for our listeners to get to glean from you today. But before we do, I want you to tell us a little bit more about your family, and then I have a question from your bio. So I know your beautiful wife is Colleen. How long have you been married? 44 years. That's amazing. So Good years. Yeah, that's that's even more amazing these days. That's awesome. So are there grandchildren in your life, and how many? We have seven grandchildren. Three kids, all married, seven grandchildren. That they is... are, anybody out there who's got them knows what I mean. They are like, oh, my gosh. It's, it's almost painful. It feels so good. <laughs> uh, the only negative is they're scattered all around. That one here in Charleston, which we're having to stay away from because of all this craziness. But then we've got one daughter and family in Texas and one in France. Oh, wow. So uh, we do a lot of FaceTime. Yeah. So this, this whole Zoom FaceTime season is nothing new for you then? No. no. <laughs> so I have a question Although from your bio. Not- I have a question okay. from your bio. Um, a bachelor's in chemistry and a master's in counseling. How did right. that happen? How did that happen? Well, it's important to say they were separated by, gosh, uh, almost 20 years. Um, in other words, I went to college. Honestly, the way I picked my major was uh, chemistry just came really easy to me for some reason. My brain just works that way. And uh, so when I got in college, I said, yeah, I think I'll study chemistry. Thought I was going to go to medical school, met the Lord a month after I got married, which, of course, there's a story behind that, and uh, taught school. And then into pastoring, I've always done a lot of counseling. I, I kind of needed a side gig, and I thought, oh, okay. So I went back to school, got my master's in counseling, truthfully, just to get a side gig to make some extra money. <laughs> and lo and behold, it totally changed the trajectory of my life and laid the groundwork for working with leaders in churches and outside. And just It's just been, it's one of those things where you do it for one reason and God was 
sneaking around behind the scenes doing something else. Kind of cool. He's he's pretty he's pretty good at that. He's pretty good at that. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Well, we're so glad to have you here to help us talk about change and the heart. So a question that I have right off the top. I mean, no doubt the entire world is experiencing, I would I would say at least in my lifetime, an unprecedented amount of change. So it was just thrust upon us. So in right. your over your forty years, I'm sure you've seen patterns of how we tend to respond to change. So what, what are the different ways that people respond to change and what are you seeing right now? Well, I mean, in the, in the biggest sense, um, obviously you have people that like it, people that hate it. Um, the, probably the important thing is to think about this, the brain, like literally the brain inside our head, um, you know, it has different parts of it that are committed to different things. And one of the, one of the primary drivers is to protect us. And how it does that is it recognizes patterns and makes predictions. So think about that. Recognizes patterns and makes predictions. Mm -hmm. Well, when change comes, uh, we don't have a pattern for it. We don't have a map. So it's hard to make predictions. And so you could say it this way, uncertainty creates fear mm. because our brain can't our brain can't say okay well if i do this in this situation this will be the result and when our brain can't do that it really really doesn't like it mm -hmm. so you know we all we all respond differently to that some people uh see it as exciting oh wow i don't i don't know how this is going to work out and they're kind of excited and then some people like it totally shuts them down like I, I don't want to do this unless I know what the outcome is going to be. Right. And when we're in uncertain times, we don't, we don't know what that outcome is going to be in some situations. Does that make sense? Totally. Totally. So we react differently. Um, do you find that even the but, people that love change after four or five, six weeks of just <laughs> no normalcy are kind of like enough already? Yeah. I, I had a, uh, a campus pastor call this morning, in fact, and uh, that was the sentiment. That, it's interesting. Like if I use them here, here's how I would I would trace this trajectory. Initially, when we went into this covid quarantine deal, every, like they were all dis disoriented because what's expected of me? What what does a win look like? what, uh, you know, my weeks normally look like this. I don't know what they look like now. I don't have a routine, all these kinds of things. What fascinated me the same week, it was probably about three, four five weeks in the same week. It was like, everybody kind of went, ah, mm. and, and it was just weird. It was all of them almost. And, um, and what had happened is they had kind of figured out what their routine was going to be, what was expected of them, what a win looked like. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And they, yeah. they kind of, they kind of like figured out what a day is going to look like, what a week's going to look like, you know, now interesting. So take that for, Oh, I don't know, a few weeks, three, four, maybe three, maybe it's, it surprised me that it happened so soon. And maybe it's all the talk about opening back up. But what happened next is anxiety started to rise again. Interesting. And the anxiety was, it was a mixture. It was how much of our current 
slash new reality it, are we going to try to maintain when we get back to quote normal? And how much of what I've kind of enjoyed in this period am I going to have to give up? And so it was like this weird anxiety adjusted like, okay, I'm okay. And then back to anxiety when the talk started back about getting opened up and back to normal. Yeah. And um, does that make sense? Totally. I, I can see whatever the workplace is like. I think we all went through that. Okay. All right. Readjust, readjust, adrenaline rush and some hate it, some love it. Um, but yeah. then, but then again, like, oh my gosh, now what does this look like? Now what does this look like? Yeah. So as you saw these you patterns, know, you, know, and, you, know, you know, what, you know, another big differentiator, introvert, extrovert. Huh? Like I'm an introvert. Honestly, I could live like this for a long time. <laughs> I, uh, I mean, you give me, of course, my wife, my favorite person, long walks, talks. I can read as much as I want to read. I can think. Uh, I'm, I'm good, man. I'm good. <laughs> <laughs> but then but then extroverts are going crazy. Well, some would They're say like, we go crazy anyways, right? It's just bringing uh, it yeah. to the forefront. <laughs> yeah. I wasn't going to say that, but since well, you did. Well, I'm kind of an ambivert, yeah. so I can speak for the extroverts yeah. as well. <laughs> I mean, I, I am a little bit too. I mean, I love people. I really do. But, uh, but I also love depth. Yeah. And, and depth you can't get to in a hurry. And uh, so that, that's another, what I would consider a pretty significant qualifier for how we deal with change. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. A word that has come to my mind throughout this is just kind of the over and under of how people cope. You know, um, I, I know I have some areas where I tend to overthink or overwork or, but I also know there's some other places where I under certain things. Is that like, is that a coping thing where we either become overers or underers? If I know neither of those are words, but you know what I mean? (laughs) I mean, I would, it's going to sound like I'm not answering your question, but I am. Um, Romans eight, God's able to make all things work together for good. Um, Pressure reveals cracks. Hmm. In other words, when we're in a situation where we're anxious or we feel pressured, it it reveals gaps, weaknesses, it, whatever. Now, for me, if you're a person who's committed to growth, in other words, I uh, I want to be the best version of myself, whatever that may mean, then pressure reveals. In other words, the revelation of a gap is a gift. Hmm. Now, let's be honest. Most of us have a hard time seeing it that way. I I love that. I want to say it again. The revelation of a gap, and you're saying that's revealed by the pressure, is a gift. That's really good. Because the reality is you can't fix a problem you don't know you have. And most of the time we have, you know, it's, it's the old fruit root thing. And, and here's, here's, here's how I'm going to circle back around to your statement, the over-under. The overcompensating and undercompensating are, are fruits. Hmm. They're symptoms of the problem. They're not the problem. Hmm. So if you, if you see it that way, pressure reveals gaps or whatever, whatever word you're comfortable with, 
um, ineffective solutions to problems. <laughs> you know, I mean, I got all kinds of ways I can say it as nicely as I possibly can. Um, but the reality is, so, okay, this situation, like one of the things I say to people, oh, oh, we're going to have a new normal. Here's the deal. There may be a new normal, but it's not going to be a good one unless you're intentional about it. Hmm. it, it, it oh, we're going to have a new normal. Well, turn off autopilot. Turn off autopilot. Stop reacting the same way you've always have and think about your reactions. Think about, okay, in this kind of a situation, I'm overcompensating. I'm under whatever. Well, think about that. And, and here's my million-dollar word. I love this word. Why? Because I call why an elevator word. Why always takes your thinking a lower a level down. Mm. So hmm, why would I over... Like, what would you add behind that? Over what? Let's say overthink. Okay, or... overthink. I, that, that's a good one, because when you said that, I thought I'd love to jump on that one. Overthinking is a catastrophically dangerous practice. Oh, I feel encouraged because, now. <laughs> well, because overthinking, here's the deal. Your brain and body respond to what you think the same way they do to reality. Huh. So if you imagine a negative situation, your body reacts the same as if it were in that situation. That's true. Now, That's why true. is that catastrophic? Because 80 to 90% of what you worry about, worry equals overthinking, mm -hmm. or you could say it this way, overthinking equals worry. Um, so 80 to 90% of what you overthink slash worry about never happens. So you put your body through the stress of something that isn't real. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Not good for you. I, there's a, there's a cool, I don't know if I can say it right, but there's a cool little joke. Uh, I told you, I told you worry was a good thing. 80% of what I worry about doesn't happen. So it works. <laughs> That's hilarious. Isn't that crazy? That's hilarious. So as, as so leaders are... is a great example. Okay. So as leaders are finding themselves and, and okay, a couple of questions. How can we actually discover where we might be over something or even under, maybe we're under communicating or we're under functioning? How can we become more aware of how we're responding to the pressure? Because sometimes we don't even see it in ourselves. We're just doing stuff, like you said, stop reacting. But mm -hmm. what are some ways I can actually identify this is actually a reaction that I'm going through right now? Right, right. Um, all right, let me play with that and I'll, I'll, I'll get there. Um, this is a reaction. But here's the thing, overthinking over whatever is a reaction to something that isn't real. Mm -hmm. if, here's, I love this kind of stuff. You realize we're the only animal, you know, we, we're, we're, we're God-driven people, so we believe God is involved in all this. Well, we're the only people, we're only creatures God's created that can inhabit any time zone other than the present. A dog can't, a dog can't contemplate the past or contemplate the future. A fish, a bird, a cat, a, you know, we are the only creature God created that can contemplate and, in essence, virtually inhabit any time zone other than the present. I have never thought so of it what that way. So what we do through thought is we pull the past into the present and we pull the future into the present. 
Well, they aren't happening right now. So back to your question, how do I not overthink over whatever? One of the questions you ask yourself is, is what I'm thinking about right now happening right now? Hmm. And as soon as you answer it, no, it should then become a suspicious thought. Hmm. Then how is this thought or this avenue of thought serving me? You follow me? I totally, yeah, yeah. So I'm, I'm, you know, somebody says, well, oh gosh, you know, there's going to be a a recurrence in the fall, a second wave. So off goes your mind. Oh, well then this is going to happen, this is going to happen. All right, time out, time out. (laughs) Is that happening right now? What would your answer be? Well, no, because that's the fall. So then how is it serving you? And you say, okay, well, you know, I could be emotionally prepared. All right, first of all, let's be real. It's not what you're doing. Right. Secondly, is it based on fact? No. Some bonehead somewhere said this might happen. (laughs) Have you noticed on the news how much they use the word might and believe? Yes, I have noticed that. (laughs) This might happen. We believe this. I'm like, you're news people, dude. You're not supposed to say might and believe. (laughs) So my deal is, one of the ways you fight that overthinking over whatever is anchor yourself to the current moment. Okay, is that happening right now? No. Am I sure it's going to happen? Absolutely not. You follow me? And I it's do. Practicing, practicing living in the moment you're in. I'll be honest with you, Sherry. Um, one of the biggest things that's helped me in the last few years is studying the concept of mindfulness. And that's what mindful, you know, mindfulness came out of Eastern religion. So people get creeped out about it, but forget, forget all that. Just see it as a, as a, as a mental, emotional, spiritual practice. And what it is, is inhabiting the moment you're in and thinking about what you're thinking to such an extent that you keep it where you are. Mm-hmm. And, um, it's been, you know, I went through a kind of a meltdown, probably now it's been about six years ago, uh, kind of a classic over-adrenalized, you know, adrenaline fatigue, blah, blah, blah. And, um, you know, I'm, a, I'm just not that guy. I, I'm the last guy you would think that it would ever happen to. Well, here's a couple of things I learned. Your brain makes no distinction between good stress and bad stress. Hmm. And you got to chew on that one. Yeah. Anytime your brain is beyond its resting capacity, its resting zone, its comfort zone, anytime your brain's outside of it, above it, 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 it it's in an adrenalized state. Um, a movie, uh, a roller coaster ride, a frightening experience. In other words, your brain, it's called eustress, which is good stress, and distress, which is bad stress. Mm-hmm. Your brain makes no distinction. Same exact chemicals. Hmm. It's really important. Because people, would, when I had my little crash, people, oh, well, what have you been worried about? I wasn't worried. I was overstimulated for too long without abatement. Hmm. And what happened is my, my adrenaline system got stuck. Because what happens is 
you you become addicted to the adrenalized state. And here's the problem. Adrenaline is how we respond to uncertainty, danger, et cetera. Right. So what happens is you begin to see everything as a threat. Hmm. Everything. And then are, do we just enter into a more reactive state where we're reacting all over the place? Not only are we reacting, but we're overreacting. Mm-hmm. Because events that are a one, we respond to as a five. Are you seeing events that right that now? Are, are you seeing Pardon that right? Me? Are you seeing that right now? Where like in people? Yeah, yeah. You know what's interesting is I think we're experiencing a forced. Um, it's kind of like if you think of life as a roller coaster, and you you know you're you're kind of a you're, you're ah you know you're living in this adrenalized state. I think one of the things about this is it's forced us to get off the roller coaster. Because mm. you, you wake up on a day off and, oh, what do you want to do today? And you got like three choices. <laughs> you know, let's see, we could go for a walk. We could uh, sit on the porch. See what I'm saying? Yeah. So I think, again, I'm, I'm not into God cause, God allowed, God whatever. I mean, whatever. But I am into no matter what happens, God can get good out of it. Yeah. And I do think one of the gifts buried in this is what does life feel like when you slow it down a little bit? Hmm. And um, that's such a good question like, for any leader right now. What does oh life feel gosh. like when you Please. slow it down a little, when you slow it down a little, because I'm sure marketplace, whatever area people are leading for, for some people, there's a lot more to do because it, because they're having to pivot on everything. But right. but for some, it's it does at least on the social side. We're having to slow it down, having to slow it down. Right. Yeah. You know, like one of the things I like, you know, I interface with a lot of pastors. Interesting how how often this word is coming up. Like like I had a conversation recently with a group of pastors, about a dozen, and uh, I asked them this question: What what have you acquired, done, practiced, changed? during this stretch that you would like to maintain after it's over. And, you know, we fumbled around here, there and yonder, but here's the, here's, here's what somewhere in their comments, every one of them said this thing, every one of them, not, it wasn't the first thing they said, the last thing they said, but every one of them, it was in their comments, long walks with my wife and family. Hmm. Hmm. Every single one of them. Wow. Long walks with my wife and or family. What do you now, think it is about I, that? What, what do you think it is about that, that, that it makes it the thing in common? Because I think the situation reduced our options and created space and um, I think it, I think it, it's one of those things that you just like when your life's full, it's like, I don't have time or I don't want to, or I wouldn't enjoy a nice slow, almost like connecting meditative walk. But in this kind of an environment, um, now you can turn the TV on, you can this, that, or the other. Now, to some degree, people just want to get out of the house away from their kids. maybe. <laughs> but, um, but it's amazing to me. Now I push it. Like I tell anybody, what what's what's a great way to keep my marriage on track walk and talk mm. time and talk 
time to talk. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'm finding it, it people just kind of stumble onto it. And after they've done it for a week or two, they're like, you know, this is pretty good. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, my next question to them, like in this discussion we had was, well, what would prevent you from doing that after this is all over? Where it doesn't have to be seven days a week, but what if three days, five days, four days, whatever, <clears throat> you went on a nice, slow, long walk? I mean, we're talking three miles, uh, you know, 30 minutes to an hour. Mm-hmm. Just walk and talk. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why don't we do that? I don't have a good answer. <laughs> what I hear no, you saying, what I hear you saying is we have an opportunity and what people are describing is the things that get back to the heart. Cause when you're walking and you're talking, you're really mm-hmm. kind of connecting with nature. You're connecting with that spouse or your family, whoever you're walking with. It's things of the heart, things that are feeding the heart. Is that true? Right. Yeah. I mean, I, I would even make the argument that your, your heart, your heart would like to set the tempo or pace for your life. Mm-hmm. In other words, the heart has a zone, uh, um, you know, obviously your conditioning physically can affect literally your heart's beating rate. But let's just say it's in a reasonably healthy place. Your heart kind of is like, has a zone it likes to stay in. The problem is most of us, our pace is set from the outside, not the inside. Mm-hmm. And, the pace that the outside sets is is not going to be one that's healthy for us, and um, and that's kind of one of my one of my chipper philosophical thoughts. Why why are we imitating the world's pace instead of setting one that that they are jealous of? Hmm. Why do is we it possible that? Is it possible that part of why the gospel is not as attractively powerful in our culture as we'd like it to be, because they don't see as big a gap between how they're living and we're living? Hmm. I believe, like if you take two magnets, what what creates attraction is is that gap, and what makes the attraction is the difference, north south pole kind of thing. Well, what if the difference between us and them is so slim that there's no attraction hmm. to what we have? Yeah. And what if it does matter how we live our days, the pace that we live at, the amount of peace that we enjoy or not, the anxiety levels? Um, what if what if it's more important than we want to admit? Yeah. That's good. Because sadly, you know, I, I do travel and work with different churches, sadly. We're, we, if, if you look at our pace and schedule, we might as well be working for, you know, Boeing or, <laughs> I mean, our, our, our lifestyle from a work perspective is not any different. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sorry, but I'm just not okay with that. So help, help me kind of lay this out for me and for listeners. If we're hearing, talking about how we initially react to change, some of the things that we could be doing and the ways that we respond, which can be initially very fast and reactive, but then we kind of discover over here this slower pace of life. What are the questions or the processes that we might 
um, take ourselves through in a sense to even be able to evaluate how do I get from just reacting in life to living from this mm-hmm. more, the slower pace that we just described. How do we make that journey? Mm-hmm. What's involved in that mm-hmm. journey? Uh, I mean, creating times where you, where you can pull aside and reflect. Um, it sounds a little weird, but the, the word detach Part of, part of the skill of mindfulness is, it sounds weird, but it's not, so don't get freaky with me here. <laughs> but w- to be mindful, self-aware, it's kind of like stepping outside of yourself and looking back at yourself. Okay. Um, and I don't mean in some astrophysical way. <laughs> I just mean like you, 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 you step out of your normal routine and look back at it. and. I think some of what can come out of this period is we can separate the important from the urgent. Like what really matters to me? Mm -hmm. And is it getting the time and attention I mean for it to get? And, and, and honestly, Sherry, somewhere in here, you got to bring this word up or am I just living like I'm a victim? I'm so busy. Oh, you know, I don't have, you know, it, 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 here's the thing, man. No one's going to do this for you. No, no one's going to, you know, no one's going to come along and say, oh, well, darling, you know, you, you could do less of that, more of this. We all have to, as individuals and as families, we've got to ask some hard questions like, why do I, why do I give that higher party than this? And um, we've got to figure out what matters and is it getting the attention we think it deserves? And, um, and that takes reflection. It takes it takes stepping out and looking back in. And you can do it uh, with other people. You can kind of do it, and probably it's better to do it that way because uh, you know you're going to be more honest if other people are involved. But you know the whole uh, the old saying: the unexamined life's not worth living. Hmm. That you you know you got to think some about it. That's good. That's good. I like that stepping outside, kind of almost observing yourself and thinking it through from a detached standpoint. That's, that's so helpful. That's so helpful. Well, I don't know about you, but I sure learned a lot from Chip today. He has really helped me so much over the last several years that I have known him. I can't wait to bring you the rest of this interview next month. But in the meantime, I really want to encourage you to go to Facebook, search for Chip Judd, and find the resources that he has available. He has a weekly feature called the 8-Minute Mind Shift available there, and I know you're going to find it helpful. I want to also just take a minute and let you know about a free resource that you can take advantage of. We now have a discussion guide for each of our podcast episodes available on our website. So whatever you found helpful and you might want to share with your team, a small group, or even just study it out further on your own, you can go there and find downloadable discussion guides at our website, www.leadwellpeople.com backslash podcast. And we want to say thank you again for each of you who has been sharing our podcast. And if you haven't already, please follow us on Instagram so that we can connect with you. Tag us and let us know what has stood out to you in this episode or others that you've been listening to. Thanks so much for tuning in. And we look forward to being with you again next month for part two with Chip Judd.